So we continue today our series called New. Um, this is uh, part two of a new identity, and I'm very excited about this series. Um, the main text is based on 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 17. We're going to touch on a couple of scriptures in a moment um, from there and as we move forward. But this series is about the new life that we can have in Christ and uh, the, the new life that, that, that Jesus invites us to, taking us from death to life, from the old to the new, to believe God for a new heart, to believe God for a new attitude, a new mind, a new marriage family, same people but new, to have faith in Him, to do the impossible, to save that friend or that loved one that you thought may would never have come to the Lord, you thought that was an impossible scenario. To believe that God can work in the midst of something that you thought could never change. Um, leading into this, um, in the final two weeks of the series will be March 29th, where we're going to have the Minnesota Adult Team Challenge Choir. Very excited about that. Um, and, and again, I talked a little bit about this last week of why we so love to see the choir. It's because we hear testimonies of old life to new life, death to life. And I'm encouraging you to come out and invite someone to come with you. And then we're going to finish this year's Easter weekend where we celebrate the greatest event in history, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Paul says this, he says, if there's no resurrection from the death of Christ, then we are all to be pitied. In other words, he's saying, I'm, I'm, putting, I, I'm, I'm all in to the idea. I know that he rose from the dead. That's why I do what I do. That's why I suffer the persecution that I suffer. That's why I suffer imprisonment. Is because Jesus rose from the dead. And this is not a fairy tale. This is true. And so he will celebrate the greatest event in history. The reason any of us can have new life, the reason that we can have go from old life to new life, is because of the resurrection of Christ, that he defeated death, he defeated hell, he defeated the grave. And so the day that he was brought back to life, so that we could have life. And so again, I'm, I'm asking you to bring someone um, with you, invite them to come with you. And um, Also, I would just want us to be, um, as we're in this series, to be diligent about praying for people that are in your life, that you've been praying for. Unsafe friends, unsafe loved ones, people that maybe you're uh, you know, next to it in work or in school students, um, people that God has put, put around you. Um, we have the sphere of influence that we have not by this chance. God has us where we are by His divine plan. He has set it up from the foundations of the earth that you would be where you are and around the people that you are, uh, are with. And it's so easy for us to kind of go in life and just kind of forget about maybe what God is, might be doing. And, and I, again, I'm not saying that you have to always preach to them that you, you live the life, that you let the light of Jesus shine, but be diligent to pray for them. Especially as we're in this series, be mindful. Take them before the throne room of heaven and, and pray to God. Pray that the Holy Spirit will touch their hearts to continue to draw them. Or maybe that unsaved loved one that you've been so burdened for, and they've been so hurt and broken, and you, know, and, and you see them continually making your horrible life choices and decisions, and keep praying for them. Have hope today that God can do the impossible. With God, all things are possible. 
And so last week we unpacked this passage from 2 Corinthians 5 and talked about having a new life in Jesus. And Paul builds up to that, you know, the well-known verse that is that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Um, I like that it says anyone. Anyone who belongs to Christ. Anyone. If you are here today, you are an anyone. Your friends, your loved ones are anyone. Anyone who belongs to Christ can have new life. And so we qualify. And so I just want to get these points in the next slide real quickly. We talked about this last week, but how to have new life. How to go from old life to new life. And he unpacks this in this passage. And he says, be compelled and motivated by Christ's love. That's what he says in verse 14. Be compelled and motivated by Christ's love. If we forget, guys, that we love, that God loves us, that Jesus loves us, and that word, to hear him say and really believe that he loves us. Then we're, then we're on this journey of trying to get him to like me more. I'm just trying to be moral and good so that he doesn't hate me. But Paul says, whatever we do, we are compelled and motivated by Christ's love. Number two is really believe that Christ loves you. That's what Paul says to them. Really believe it. This is true. That's why he, again, he says in verse 15, if there is no resurrection from the dead, if, he, if Christ didn't die, then, then, then we are to be pitied. But he said, really believe that Christ died you. Number three, believe that when you receive his new life in you, you are dead to your old life and living for yourself and instead living completely for Christ. That's what he's saying here, building up to verse 17. Really believe it. Number four, remember, he says, don't evaluate and define Jesus from a human earthly point of view. Paul said that. He said, we used to think of Christ from merely a human point of view. He said, oh, how we think differently of him now. Now that I know him, now that I have uh, I've experienced his life. He, he is not like us. He is not here to make me nicer or more moral. He is here to give me new life. Christ did not come and die and raise from the dead to make me nicer. He came to give me, I, I was dead, and he came to give me life. And so we don't evaluate him from and a human earthly point of view. So many people have so many different thoughts of Jesus and who Jesus is, moral teacher, good teacher. He was a great teacher. He was filled with love, but he is also a righteous judge. And he, in his grace and mercy, died in our place. So that we, when we receive him, we don't live for the old life. We don't just say, well, I'll have a little Jesus and keep living the same old life that I keep living. You know, we take his life, we repent of our sins, and we move on. Then number five, when you belong to Christ, you become a new person. This is, and, and Paul really saying, believe that. Um, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about, in this series, we're going to talk about when you don't feel new, or when you're struggling with newness of life, and, and how to maneuver through some of that. Because sometimes we believe it in our head, right? And, and it's hard to have a revelation in our heart to say, you know, man, I don't feel new. I feel like maybe you, you blow it again and again in some areas, and you go, man, where's the newness of life in this area? We'll talk a little bit about that. But he said, when you go into you become a new person, the old life is gone, a new life has begun. So, really believe it. And again, he unpacked that, and I just wanted to give you that before we move forward. Today, where, where we're going to go today, um, we're going to look at the guy who wrote this stuff. We're going to look at Paul. And you're going to see in the story, most of you know his story, but we're going to look at some components of his story of a guy who 
was dead in sin and then it became alive to Christ. And you're going to see a whole new identity. You're going to see what it means and how he could write the things that he wrote. And so we're going to look at Paul's conversion and him coming to Christ, the newness of life. And I'm here today because of God's grace. We all are. David wrote this. He said, but for grace, where would we be? Where would we be? And I think it's so easy for us at times to go through life as a follower of Christ. And, and, and what happens is that if we're not constantly reminded of God's love and the cross of Christ, and, and we don't remind ourselves of, of that and look at Him and find that place and daily say, Jesus, thank you, and please forget that place. It's easy for us to get into the rut of life and forget about that stuff. And that, again, that's why Jesus wrote that to the, the church in Ephesus. He said, you, you've left your first love. You have forgotten God's love for you. You are going through the motions and you have forgotten love. And, and it's easy when we get into those places where we can get critical. That's why we need this message as Christ followers as much as people that don't know Christ need this message. We need the new life message as, as, as Christians. Because a lot of times we forget. Some of us need a new heart. We need a new joy. We need new life. We get into a rut. We get bitter. We get critical. We look down our noses at people. We get prideful. It can happen to any of us. That's why Paul was always reminded of his old life. Now, not that he lived there. Not that he lived in shame. But he was so grateful to Christ who he rescued him. And Jesus even told some parables in, you know, in the Gospels where, remember the one parable where he's talking about forgiveness and, you know, forgiving others. And he said there was, these, there was this one servant and he owed his master or you know, his, the guy that he was under, he owed him you know, a debt that he could not repay. It was, you know, the equivalent of millions of dollars. Can you imagine if you had that kind of debt, a million dollars, and then the person that you owe it to, they come and they said, your debt is canceled. That's a good day, isn't it? I mean, think about that. And Jesus tells the story, says this guy, you know, he goes and he said, I don't have the money. I just don't have it. And his master says this to him. And Jesus is paying this picture to debt's forgiven. You owed much and you could not pay it. I'm taking care of that for you. And it is really the picture of salvation, isn't it? We, we have a debt that we cannot pay. We are born into sin. Our sin requires a penalty. The, the wages of sin is death. We have a debt we cannot pay back. And we fall at the feet of Jesus and we humble ourselves. I can't pay this debt. I can't be nice enough. I can't be good enough. I can't be moral enough to help me to, to, to pay this debt. My, you know, it's like owing billions of dollars and my goodness is about a nickel. It doesn't touch it. And Jesus says, you come to me, you humble yourself to me, and I forgive you. I wipe it away. The debt is paid. That's what it means. It is finished from the cross. When he cried out, it is finished. It means paid in full. That's good news. That we are not now accountable for the sins that we committed. And then Jesus says, then what happens is this man who is forgiven, this debt he could not pay, he goes to one of his one of the guys that's under him, and this guy owes him like a hundred bucks. 
And he demands payment immediately. You give me my payment. It says that you grab him, you know, by his neck, and he says, "You will pay me my hundred dollars, or I'm in." And guy says, "I don't have it. I, I, I just don't have it." And he says, "Throw him in the prison." And this is the guy who just got a debt money of millions. And it says the master hears the, the, the headmaster hears the story. He says, "Take this wicked servant and throw him out." And Jesus is painting a picture there of, of, of saying, don't forget the debt that you owed that was paid. When you cried out to God, and it's so easy for us to forget the newness of life and that when maybe somebody sins against you, Jesus said, forgive them as I've forgiven you. It's radical forgiveness. It's forgiveness that doesn't make any sense. It's forgiveness that says, I don't feel like forgiving. Now, I'm not saying it's easy, but... And I'm not saying you have to trust people, but I'm saying that we must forgive in our heart. And Jesus said, don't forget the debt that was paid for you so that you can walk in your mystic life. And I'm here today because of God's grace. There's some of my friends that if you could go back and interview them and, 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 and ask them what kind of person I was. And, you know, again, I wasn't... I didn't, I don't have that testimony where, you know, uh, where, 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 you know, it's like a drug and alcohol addiction, those kind of things that were more outward. My stuff is more inward. It didn't make it any better. It was actually kind of worse. I had internal lust issues. I was consumed with lust. I had a major stronghold of lust in my heart that just gripped me. I was <laughs> full of myself. I, Kind of a know-it-all at times, and, and and you know, and, and almost kind of comparing and looking down, you know, that guy's sin or that person's sin, and then dealing with this icky junk that was in my own heart. I'd become very religious and kind of pharisaical that I could really look the part on Sunday, but my heart was so cold the rest of the time. And God, in His mercy yanked me out of that. Because there were some of my friends, I just knew, they, they, they knew the real me. I wasn't fooling them. And if you would have, again, if you'd go back and ask them and talk to them, and I think some of them would be shocked that I'm passing right now. Really? Him? Ooh, really? I hope he changed. Thank God I did. Thank God that He brought me from old life to new life. I'm not the same as I was. Again, not that I, you know, became amazing all of a sudden. It was humbling myself and 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 and, and having this time. And I can, you know, I, I'm not going to get into all of it, but I I, I really had to humble myself before God. Um, some people, it's a moment. Some people, it's over time. Usually there's this moment where it begins. I still, I had this moment. I still had to walk it out. And God began to make me a new person. Um, you know, some people have that dramatic thing, you know, where it's just you, all those old habits are kind of just gone. It took me a while, but God took me from old life to new life. It was, uh, and it was, I love this church, and I'll never forget this. 
because I, I was kind of filled with arrogance and uh, cynicism. I was raised in the church. I see so much hypocrisy that it would turn your stomach. Um, I saw, you know, preachers preaching one thing and preaching, you know, the house down at one week, you know, and then you know what kind of life they're living, and then you find out they're in adult affairs. And what happened was, and, and all that, and that's not good, but you know what? I'm not their judge, and, and, and my cynicism begins to turn my own heart dark. And I'm like, all Christians are, it's all, and, and I just begin to lump people into this kind of group and saying, well, this is so, and I don't even know if I want this anymore. And I really came to a crossroads of a crisis in my faith. And yes, there's hypocrisy in the church. I get that. It's like the one person said, there are all a bunch of hypocrites, and we always have room for more. So come on in. Because we're all, we all have darkness. We all have stuff. But growing up in it and seeing so much of it, I got, I got a real cynical. And it's funny, as I'm cynical with that, and I've got my own little twisted dark heart over here. It was hidden. And somehow, because I wasn't in the public eye, and I could look and down my nose and be cynical at that. But every time I would tend to go to the Lord, it was always this kind of question. He would say, yeah, but what about you? Yeah, yeah, the, them, but what about you? And I remember being at the service um, one night, and... Uh, I don't even remember what the guy preached on. Um, I just remember the Holy Spirit drawing me. They, you know, wherever you're at with altar calls, and you know, they, we did that. And so I came down to the altar pray. I'm standing there, and I'm like, Lord, I, 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 just, I, 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 I knew I was responding to the Lord. But, and then the guy says this. He said, I just feel like, you know, there's a bunch of people up there getting prayed for. He said, I just feel like everyone up there, you need to get on your knees and humble yourself before God. I'm like. If, if, if for no one else, that was for me. Because God in that moment was saying, what about you? And God began to take me on a journey. Again, not that I just, you know, snapped with the fingers and it was all, but I began to be a journey. And I'm like, God, I know, I know that there's something authentic and real about Jesus and that's what I want. In spite of what people do or don't do around me, I need you. And Jesus tells these stories, you know, about even about the woman that was a prostitute. And remember, she falls at his feet, and she's weeping over his feet, and she's crying and pouring oil. And some of the people there were kind of, even the disciples were kind of like disgusted by him. He tells a parable, and basically paying he has been forgiven much, and she realizes it. She realizes the death that she had, and then he's been forgiven, and she just humbled before Jesus and what he did. Some here today need to hear that in Jesus you can have a new, fresh start. A life reboot. Or maybe someone you're praying for needs a new start. I think sometimes we find ourselves in a place where a life where bad decisions or poor choices have brought us to a very difficult place in life. We might be suffering from there are there are some consequences, I understand that. But if but if you find yourself in this place and you feel like there's no way out of it, but like the prophet son who found himself in that far off country, eating with the pigs. 
and he was away from his father. And sometimes we find ourselves, and, 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 and it might be like that lost, broken, bad decisions, poor choices. Again, or you might be praying for someone that is in that far-off country. Others here, your far-off country has been a spiritual apathy. You've been a Christ follower, but you've gotten bitter, you've become apathetic, you're complacent, you've lost the joy of your salvation, you've forgotten love and grace, and you need a fresh start too. Here's the cool thing with this whole series of you. The reality is that in Jesus, we can have a new and fresh start. That should make everyone excited. You guys are just staring at me like we go to deer in the head. You sure about that? I'm very sure. That's the very definition of, uh, of grace and mercy. Getting what we don't deserve and not getting what we do deserve. That's what we have in Christ. That's the definition of grace and mercy. We have a Father who's waiting, just like the Father's Son, He's waiting with open arms for you to come. And we're like the Protestant Union, you know, we make all these excuses of why we can't or shouldn't or my past and I don't know and I've tried this before and he says, get in here and let me embrace you and know my love. Our son Taylor, um, uh, by the way, he's doing great. Thank you for praying for him. He's doing wonderful. Uh, God's really uh, opening up a lot of opportunities for him. This morning he's preaching at that church to the middle school group. And so... Uh, the youth pastor asked him to speak to the middle schoolers, and so um, it's just a great opportunity. But um, I wanted to tell this funny story because, you know, when he was younger, he liked to play video games a lot. Come on, kids, any video game lovers here? Raise your hands. It's okay to admit it. We all have addictions. It's all right. Our parents go, you know, your kids. How many parents are in like video games? Come on. Well, you put the kids in the bed and you're playing Mario Kart. And I've seen that happen, so. Uh, you need to go to bed now. Your dad and I have uh, some important things to do. I'm beating you tonight. Um, Taylor was funny because uh, when he was really into video games, if the game wasn't going like he wanted it to go, you know what he would do? You guys know what? That restart button? Boop. And, and the, the new game. He could restart the game. I mean, it, it's, it's not going so well. Or, you know, he used to play, like, sports games. He, you know, he's playing against the computer. He wouldn't play against me because I would be the one wanting to restart all the time. He would destroy me. Um, but he's playing, and the game's getting towards the end, and he's about to lose. Oop, restart. And the kickoff. And here we go. And we used to, you know, kind of, you know, it was kind of like laughing and troubled all at the same time. Because we're thinking, you know, Taylor, you can't do that in life. Take the loss. And then we, sometimes you lose. You know, sometimes you lose, and it's okay. You can't restart in life. Because he would just get to step into it. And, you know, at, at one point, at one age, he wasn't older. But you know, he was the point of almost tears. I'm losing, and then just, boom, restart. And we were like, this is kind of a troubling trend. And, you know, sometimes you lose. It's okay, you know. Today's society, we, you know, and this is just a sidebar. I'm just going to be funny a little bit to you. We protect kids from losing. And, you know, sometimes in sports you lose. It's okay, you know. I, don't, I never liked participation ribbon. I just didn't. As a kid, I remember. I'm like, I didn't win. I didn't even finish like fifth. Like, I'm in like 12th place out of, you know, 11 kids, you know, and, uh, 
and then they give you a participation ribbon. You know where that thing's gonna go when I, when I get home? I don't want. I, I want you to, you know, give me gold, silver, or bronze. I, I didn't really, you know, anyway. Restarting the game, but you know, isn't it interesting though? I, and, and I'm thinking about that. Is that's grace and mercy. I understand that we don't always win in life. I understand that the realities of, 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 of life sometimes that we lose or things. But in spiritual things, you know what? God gives us the opportunity to restart. We're going in a certain way, and we're at the end of the game, we feel like, and we just feel like all is lost, and God says, His mercy. That's mercy. That's great. I love Lamentation 3. Let's go to this next passage. You guys will be familiar with this. Now, just to set up, and most of you are familiar with this passage. You've seen it on cards, you've read it somewhere. Um, but understanding in context, to lament, Lamentations to lament, this is Jeremiah. He's a grieving prophet. He's a prophet, and those prophets, you did not want to be an Old Testament prophet. You know, that was not something that you go, hey, I'll do it. Um, you know, Isaiah did say, you know, here am I, send me. I think later on he was like, boy, come on, I just thought that through. Um, but Jeremiah specifically, he was a grieving, he was known as a weeping prophet because God said, you know, this is a, this is a, this is a hard time for, for Israel. There's a lot of disobedience. They were going to go in captivity. And it's like the more he said, you know, God's going to do this. This is God's sovereign plan that this is going to happen. They would reject him. They would get angry with him. And then you have lamentation. So in context, it's the midst of difficulty, and God is speaking. It's written in a hard place, a place of discipline for Israel. So even in the hardest places, God speaks. And he says, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. Even if you are in a hard place, even if you are in a place where you look back and you go, I've made some bad decisions, because sometimes we just admit that, man, I've gotten here because I've really, I've really steered and veered over here. God speaks and He says, the faithful love of the Lord never ends, His mercies never cease. What does it say? Great is His faithfulness. His mercies are what? New every morning. Every morning. His compassion, His mercies are new. And then Jeremiah say, I say to myself, sometimes you have to preach to yourself. Sometimes you have to encourage yourself. And he says to my, he said, I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in Him. My hope is in Him. My circumstances may not be great, but my hope is in Him. And he says, the Lord is good to those who depend on Him to those who search for Him. And so He's kind of giving us, Jeremiah is giving us, in the midst of this very difficult thing, He's given us somewhat of an encouragement to say, do you know how you can have God's new mercy? Do you know how you can have a new fresh start? you know how you can reboot your life? Is that you realize your dependency on God. And you realize that your hope is on Him and Him alone. Depend on Him. Search for Him. Making Him my inheritance. So in Jesus, we can have a new, fresh start. You don't have to be dictated by your past. You don't have to be defined by your shame or your mistakes. His mercies are new today. 
Put your hope in Him today. Realize your dependency on Him and not self-reliance. Not in my own power, my own strength. It is saying, I, in my own strength, I'm very, very weak. Paul said, realizing that we're weak. Search for him to find him. And so I want to jump in and looking at Paul's story. Let's begin. Let's look at the next. This is that kind of key passage. This is what Paul says. Second at one time we thought Christ knows from a human point of view how differently we know him now. We know him. Not know about him. Not have facts about him. We know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. But we know him. Written by Paul. He writes this, and, and when you hear his letters, and he's writing to these churches, and he was the apostle to the Gentiles, and thank God for the apostles of Gentiles, that, that's us. And he's writing these letters, but he writes in a hard place, knowing his own path. Knowing what Christ has brought him from. And he just says, how differently we know Jesus now. And so this, this revelation was significant to him. As he's preaching it to the Corinthians, he's saying, I have a story here. He has an authority. You know, when you've been through something, and we talked about this in the suffering series, when you've been through something and God has brought you from old life to new life, you have an authority to speak and to encourage people in the Lord. And so it was significant to him. That's why he could preach this stuff. Paul's story in the words there in part to give us great hope that Jesus can save the worst of sinners. There's no one impossible for Jesus. He can do the impossible. That He can work in the midst of a challenge that you may have labeled impossible. There's no way God can work in this. You may not say it, but you think it. Again, that loved one that you feel like is too far gone, that friend, i tried to be kind to them. I've witnessed to them. I've tried to find the like they're never going to... My kids or my parents or my aunt or uncle, my situation will never change. My marriage will never change. My life will never change. Paul's story is there to give us hope that God can do something in the midst of impossible situations. So let's look at his story. little backdrop. Acts 7. Let's go to the first one. All right, so... Here it is, one of the first leaders, one of the first deacons, servant leaders is Stephen. Stephen has been arrested for proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. He's been persecuted. He's been brought before the leaders of the time. And he has just given them a history about how Christ has been revealed through all of this, you know, starting back at the very beginning through Abraham and Moses, that it's all been pointing to Christ and Stephen's preaching. So that's the context here. It says the Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation because he was accusing them. You guys are stiff-necked and you are, you are the ones that were prophesied about that you would turn your backs on the very one that God gave us. And so they were infuriated by Stephen's accusation and they stripped their fists at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor of God's right hand. And he told him, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor of God's right hand. Verse 57. Then they put their hands over their ears and they began shouting. They rushed at him and they dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and they laid them at the feet of a young man named... 
As they fell on his feet and prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell on his knees, shouted, the Lord, don't charge me with this sin. And with that, he died. So in this moment, he forgives them. I wanted to point out Saul over there standing, and they lay in their coats at his feet. The same Saul that becomes Paul later. Let's look at Acts 9. I'm going to kind of shoot through these because I'm kind of telling his story. And so Saul, as one of the kind of the head guys over this, he gets orders from the top and says, go into town, begin to arrest Christians, round them up, put them in prison, execute them, do whatever to stop this. They're trying to stop Christianity. Acts 9, meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Get that picture in your mind. This is, this is where this is where his heart was. This is the place that he was at. He was uttering threats. He was eager to kill them. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem and Spain. As he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go to the city. You'll be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hands of Damascus. He remained there blind for three days, and he did not eat or drink. So he has been shaken and rocked in a serious way. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. Verse 11. The Lord said, Go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision that a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. Listen to Ananias. The Lord I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, Go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. So, what kind of a man was this man, Saul? He was a terrorist. I mean, that's what he was. He was going after people. He was demanding, give me, give me the authority to go after these people. He looks on an approving way to see Stephen be stoned to death. He was a terrorist. Ananias knew his reputation. I, and he said, I've heard about this guy. All the stories that are wrong. It, 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 Jesus, if you're wrong about this, he's going to get me too. To go, go there. This guy, I, I've heard about him. Saul was an impossible situation. He was the type of guy that people were shocked to find out that he had become a, a Christ follower. I mean, they were stunned. Ananias was like, this would be like somebody from ISIS getting saved. This would be like a leader in ISIS coming to know Christ. And by the way, pray for those people. Pray for them that God would reveal Himself to them just like He did Saul because they are not impossible and they are people that God loves. And they are deceived and God can save them. Do we really believe that? Look at Saul's life. 
If God can do it then, He can do it again. So if we, if we if that weren't enough evidence, let's look at a few more verses. Let's go to the next page. So verse 21 asks, night, all who heard him were amazed. Isn't this the same man? And so people are hearing that Saul has become a Christian. Isn't the same man who caused devastation among Jesus' followers in Jerusalem? And they, they ask, and didn't he come here to arrest him and take him in chains to the leading priest? And so the people are like, this guy really? To be like, you know, again, somebody comes to you and, and it's that impossible person that impossible, and they say, you know, by the way, they're a Christian now. And you would like, are you serious? Are you kidding me? Verse 26, when Saul arrived in then he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. So they did not believe he had truly become a believer. So they're, uh, you know, he's like, I'd like to meet with the believers, and they're like, he's not meeting with us. He's deceiving. He's not going to arrest them. I mean, they even have to bring Barnabas in there and kind of say, no, it's the real deal. He has become a Christ follower. And then let's go to Acts 22. And so this is Paul's testimony. There were several times in Acts he gets to give his story to people. And he says this about himself, verse 4 He said, I persecuted followers of the way, pounding some to death, arresting both men and women, and throwing them in prison. And then verses 17 to 21, again, he is telling about his encounter with the Lord. And I want you to hear him. It sounds a little bit like the prodigal son when he was first talking to Jesus. After I returned to Jerusalem, I was praying in the temple and fell into a trap. I saw a vision of Jesus saying to me, hurry, leave Jerusalem for the people here won't accept the testimony about me. But Lord, they certainly know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And I was in complete agreement when your witness Stephen was killed. I stood by and took the coats they, they took off when they stoned him. So he's, he's telling them, he said, you know, I was praying, I understand that some of you feel like that you're in an impossible situation. I, I understand that some of you feel like that maybe God, maybe I'm, maybe I'm too far gone, maybe my past has, has, has caused me to be at a place where God couldn't reach me. He said, I believe that too. And he's sitting there debating with Jesus, they, they know about me. They know what I did. But listen, the Lord said to me, go for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. I have a plan for your life. I can do the impossible. So he's saying, Lord, they, they know about me everywhere. Do you know what I've done? There's no way I can be new and different. My past is horrific. And I love the Lord's response. I've got a plan for you. What is Jesus saying? Your past isn't greater than my mercy. Some of you need to hear that today. Your shame isn't bigger than my grace. Your failures aren't larger than my love for you. You can, you can have a new life. And so be encouraged today that no matter what you've done, no matter the bigness of your past or how big you sin to make it, or your sin or your failures or your brokenness, we have a Savior whose grace, mercy, and love and forgiveness are glory. Don't forget that. Don't let the enemy dictate and define you with your past. And also, don't argue with God. You'll never win. Now, the enemy might try to get you to argue and, and then just kind of keep you in that place, but saying to God, you don't understand, I think that I'm too far gone and I've done this or that, and how can you forgive me? Run to Him. Just like the Lamentations, depend on Him, search Him, put your hope in Him. If He can say, Saul, 
we're not a problem. As I'm kind of closing here, as most of us know, Saul becomes one of the most prominent apostles and leaders in the church. He writes two-thirds of our New Testament. I mean, here's the guy with that kind of past, and God redeems his life. Again, that's to give us hope. And it's interesting that he begins to be called Paul instead of Saul. So he chooses to be called Paul. We'll go to the, the next slide, and we're going to be talking about how he went from Saul to Paul. Many have thought, and, and, and I'm in a part of that camp, that God changed Saul's name to Paul after his conversion. Who has believed that? Who's thought that? My hands up. That God changed his name from Saul to Paul after his conversion. The rest of you are smarter than me. You, you, you. How many of you knew that that wasn't right? Some people don't have an opinion. They're just like, I'm not going to get into this at all. Uh, I don't want to look that. So six of you believe that. The rest of you don't even know what I'm talking about. That's okay. But he starts being called Paul. He starts, when he writes his letters to the church, he says, in my own handwriting, Paul. I've always thought he was converted and God changed his name. That's not the case. It wasn't uncommon for people back in the day to have two names, especially if they had lives from different cultures. If you know about Paul, he was a Jew, but he was also a Roman citizen, right? So there was a, a duality to his life. And there were other people in the Bible, remember they would say, it would say so-and-so, also known as so-and-so. Have you ever seen that in the Bible? So some people had two names. It would be like, you know, you know Bruce, also known as, you know, whatever. And, 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 and I also was known by that. And so Paul, he, he was a Jew of the highest order and a Roman citizen. And then in Acts 13, let's go to that first one, Taylor. Um, it says this, and it's just talking about this. Saul, who was also called Paul. Saul, who was also called Paul. He was known by both names. His Hebrew Jewish side was Saul of Tarsus. His Roman name was Paulus. Paul. Where did we get? Paul. And so it's interesting here because in study I came across this very, very, I mean, it, I, it was one of those moments when, in, in, when I'm studying this, it was just like, uh, I love these revelations when God did this. I was very excited. I hope you're as excited as I was when you hear this. If not, I apologize in advance, but this is very cool. He, too, it was actually his doing to be called Paul after his conversion to Christ. Now, he understood, oh, I was old, now I am new. I'm known by both names, but now I'm going to be starting to be called Paul. He began signing his letters from Paul. What's the significance? It's a powerful revelation found in the meaning of names. Now, we understand, most of you understand there's power in names, especially back in those days, you know, where, where names were, you know, it was, there was an identity that was attached to it. Here's what Saul means. Saul, the word Saul means ask for, search for, inquire of God. A searching. Interestingly enough, he was a Pharisee of the highest order. 
he knew the law backward and forward. Uh, you know, he memorized the law. In fact, he was so high up. You know, he was one of those guys that was, he was scarcely, he would have memorized the entire Old Testament. Word for word. All kinds of Awana rhythms on that. Word for word, he knew the law. And so, there were genuine Pharisees who were truth seekers. You've got to understand that. When you hear Pharisees in that group, they weren't all bad. They grew up knowing the law, and, and, and they, were, they were known to be truth seekers, a lot of them. Now, that, now that during the time of Christ, there was that group of them that turned on him, and they were, had deception in their heart, and they rejected him as the Messiah. And he fulfilled all of the Old Testament prophecies, and he was there in front of them. And, you know, by God's plan, they, you know, they had turned against him. But their Pharisees were known because they knew the law, and they, and, and they are, you know, a lot of, especially the Jews that don't believe that Christ is Messiah, they're still in this search for. They're searching for, they're, they're searching for the Messiah. And they were truth seekers. And I believe that Paul, in his zeal, even rounding up Christians, thinking that he's doing it all in the name of God, he was a truth seeker. He wanted to know truth. And Jesus confronts him on the road. And changes his life. Search for it, inquired of. His name Saul indicates that. You know, Truth speaker. Jesus shows up and basically says, I'm what you've been searching for. Saul, I'm what you've been looking for. I'm what you've been inquiring of. You've been in this search all your life and you think that you're doing the right thing, but guess what? The thing that you've been searching for, I've been here all along. I am what you need. I am what you should be putting your hope in. I am what you have been inquiring of. I'm the answer to your question. So because of this encounter, he now begins to refer to himself as his Roman name, Paul. What does Paul mean? Check this out. Small, little, humble. Not in the sense of self-condemnation that you would, you know, that you know but the realization of who Jesus is and what he has done. It was like, you know, because he, he has this moment, he's blind, he goes and lead him into town, and he doesn't eat or drink, and he's just overwhelmed, and he says, you, the very thing that I was persecuting, you were what I was searching for, I feel so humble. I'm in awe of you. I, I, I don't have new life because of what I've done. I don't have a new nature because of what I've done, or being more moral, or being good, or being a great Pharisee. I'm a new creation, a new person because of what you have done. And it's the realization that Jesus is who we are searching for. It's the realization that Jesus is the one that gives us new life, that He felt small and little in His own abilities. Because in self righteousness and self reliance, we make ourselves so big and so powerful and so awesome. He's still filled with pride. That was the Pharisee. 
That's why they went around when the, they were dressed in those long robes and they loved to be called teacher and master on the streets. And they loved to, you know, Jesus said they loved to pray in the, out in the public to, to kind of show how awesome they were. Have you ever heard somebody pray and they're just like praying King James prayer, say thou go, and then you're like, I could never pray like that. God just wants you to be honest with them. And the Pharisees in this, and Paul would be one of them. He liked it. And he would get there searching for something. And Jesus says, it's not about how awesome you are. It's not about how good you are. It's about how good I am. And he says, I, this, this humbles me. Call me Paul. Call me little. Call me small. I, I see who he is. It's not about my own self-righteousness. It's about his righteousness. It's always been He's what I've been searching for. When you understand that the pressure is not on us to try to be good and moral, yes, we are called to goodness and morality, but it's out of understanding what He has already done. A lot of times we let the morality and the goodness go, I'm trying to be more moral so that He loves me more. I'm trying to be more moral so that I can maybe get to heaven. We're trying to have the good outweigh the bad. And he says, you know what? Your bad will always outweigh you. That's why my goodness outweighs the badness of humanity. That's the gospel. You could never do it. The pressure's not on you. I've already taken it. I've already, it is finished. It's paid in full. Stop trying to pay for your own sin and just run to me and be dependent on me and have a new life. And once you realize that, doesn't that make you feel small in a good way? That's why he says, call me small and humble, not like I'm a little worm and I'm, you know, but it's small in a good way. It's humble in a good way. It's, I am not good as he is. I'm not awesome. He is. I can't be my own God. I'm really bad at being my own. I'm horrible at being my own God. And that's why we can see in his letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians 3, he says, this is when I realize what Christ has done for me and what he's called me to do, it says this, he says, I fall on my knees and humble, and in a humble place. And then he says, and I pray for you that you would be rooted and grounded in his love to know how high, how deep, how wide, how tall the love of Christ is for you. So when you read that, when Paul is writing, he said, I, I want you to get it. I want you to, I fall to my knees because if you can understand it, if he could say someone like me, a terrorist like me, your past is nothing for him. Your shame is nothing for him. He can make you new. He knew because of what God had pulled him from. From terrorists to forgiven, from murderers to loved, from old, dead, sinful to new, cleansed, mercy and grace. And again, let his testimony speak to us that you're not too far gone. Your loved ones are not too far gone. Your situation's not too difficult for God. That God can do the impossible. Believe that today. Because we're we are all we all have a little stall in us. Saul of Tarsus searched for, inquired, what are you searching for today? What are you looking for? What are you inquiring of God today? 
Because we're all on a, I don't care if people believe in God or not, everyone's on a journey that's searching for something. They are. It's built in us. It's hardwired into in us to worship something, to live for something greater than ourselves. We're all, everyone on earth is a worshiper. It's just a matter of where we place it, where we place our worship. But the option of not being a worshiper, it doesn't exist. People go, atheist, I don't believe in anything. Well, you worship yourself. Because ultimately you live for yourself. But people are searching, they're inquiring of something. Maybe they're not praying to God, but they are searching. And again, maybe here it's to be a better person, to be more moral. My encouragement is be humble today. Be small in your own eyes today. Realize that new life doesn't come from you. You can't make yourself have a new life. New life comes into the realization that the work has already been done for us. That grace and mercy have been extended to us as a gift. The cross of Christ yells, I love you. And then our response must be to humble ourselves again. Humble ourselves. Reject self-reliance. Reject self-reliance. Put our hope in Him and what He has done. And completely surrender to Him. Then He begins to give us new life. And the new life of Christ begins to be an operation in our lives. Again, not that we just perfectly can, I get it. But it's relational and He walks with us and He gives us His Holy Spirit on a path to new life. Your situation, the situation you've been praying about, your loved ones, your friends, your marriage, it isn't too hard to God when you stand for this Jesus, again, thank you for new life. Thank you that when we belong to you, and that's the key is to belong to Him. That when we belong to you, that means you are owner, Jesus. That's what Paul said. Whoever belongs to Christ, what do you belong to? Do you belong just to yourself? Because to have newness of life, you must belong to Christ. That means he, he's the owner. That's why when we have things, it's, it's our belongings. They're ours. And, and does Jesus look at you and say, that's mine. You're mine. You belong to me. Today, the first thing I just want to pray for, 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 for people today that maybe you're here and you don't belong to Christ. Or again, maybe you're here and you've walked with Christ, but the newness of life has just kind of worn off. You've been going through the motions. You know, I want to pray for you if you feel so much far away from God and, and, and I, don't, I don't know if I really even belong to Him. And I want to today, I just want to humble myself before Him. That's who you raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your unbelievable gift of mercy and grace. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Lord, I pray, God, that we again would go from here, and Lord, that your words would be written on our hearts, that we would, Lord, truly believe that you created us for new life. I pray, God, as we walk out today, we walk in life, Lord, that you would be in us and through us, and we would belong to you. 
And I pray, God, today, Lord, I want to specifically pray for those situations. Um, and, and, and again, I want to agree with you in prayer. If there is someone in your life, loved one, friend, co-worker, fellow student, friend, whatever it is, and, and you've been praying for them, and it seems like they're in an impossible situation, you raise your hand. Hands up everywhere. Let's pray about that. Let's believe again. Lord, thank you, God. As, Lord, as you see these hands, you see the hearts, you know that the people and the faces behind these hands are we've been praying for. Lord, my hand is lifted to loved ones, friends, Lord, that are far from you. And, and Lord, it just seems like, God, it, it, I, I don't know if it's ever going to happen. But Lord, thank you that you're the God of the impossible. We ask the Holy Spirit that you would begin to go and minister and to reach them. Lord, thank you that you are not dictated by time or distance. Lord, that you can even touch them right now where they're at. We are believing God for miraculous intervention of their life. Lord, that they would have an encounter with you that would just be so real. Lord, that you would touch them, that your Spirit would draw them to Christ today. Lord, we, we want to pray with hope. We want to pray believing God that as we look at Saul's life, that nothing is impossible for you. For we love you, we praise you, God, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week.